Our job is to find those opportunities in the market where there's value. And where, what, how are you determining if something is a positive EV bed? That's the secret sauce, Jason. <laughs> Let's talk about the recipe. The Business of Betting podcast is presented by Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming industry. Four out of the top five U.S. operators personalize player experiences with Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming industry. Learn more about Optimove by requesting a demo at optimove.com slash business of betting. And if you like what you see, you will get your first month free. What is up, everybody? I am Jason Trost, the host of the Business of Betting podcast. Today, I'm joined by the CEO of Odds Jam, Matt Restivo. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jason. Appreciate it. So where are you calling in from today? I am in sunny Boulder, Colorado. Is that where you live? Do you live in Boulder? Yeah, this is where we moved out here from. We spent 10 years in New York and moved out here about two years ago. And my family's always asked me if I'm going to move back. And I always tell them, you'd have to kind of pull me out of here kicking and screaming. Yeah, I was going to say, is it as nice? Sunshine. Is it as nice as it sounds like? It's a nice, yeah. It's We're very fortunate, I would say that. And I, I think the last I heard about Boulder, there was a bad fire that was on the way to Boulder. What happened with that? There was, yeah, there was back in late 2021, there was this huge fire called the Marshall Fire. And it's a whole, there's a whole deep controversy that if anybody's really looking to go into the rat hole of Wikipedia, you could figure out how it was started or at least read about how it was started. But it was this crazy fight. It was this crazy combination of wildfires and like a hundred mile an hour winds. And it was trippy because when we were moving out here, we came out to look and understand neighborhoods and you would go into Louisville, which was primarily hit by the fire, Louisville and Superior. And you would be driving down a street and it would be like house, burn down house, burn down house, 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 burn down house across the street. Like it was just like this random, it like skipped houses. And of course, everybody's house who was there in the fire, they had to like get it completely cleaned and there was all this soot, but we're rebuilding. I mean, I say we. It, it seems like things are moving along on the rebuild and, you know, it's a horrible thing for these families to go through. So I hope, I mean, it, it seems like we're on the right track here and it does seem like it was just kind of like a freak accident. Well, that was like a year or two ago, wasn't it? Something like that? Yeah. Yeah. About two yeah. years ago. And Colorado was also in the news for its four to three judgment on the 14th Amendment, I believe. What's your take on the 14th Amendment? What's going on in Colorado? Uh, yeah. What's going on? I don't pick teams. I'm a registered independent, but I would say that from what I understand, it does seem antithetical to democracy to allow a state to choose who is on the ballot. I'm in no way saying that I'm I'm voting for Trump whatsoever, (laughs) but I think, isn't that sort of, I think we just have to think about the the implications of of what a a ruling on this would really mean. Yeah, I think practically I, I agree with you, but if you read the text, it's pretty clear, you know, if you get aid or comfort to insurrectionists, like you can't run for office. So I... I don't understand. I'm really curious how the Supreme Court's going to rule on this. I imagine the Supreme Court will strike it down, but I don't understand if you're an originalist, you know, that's kind of the big thing on the conservative side is just reading the text of what it says and all that kind of stuff. I don't understand how you read it and not disqualify Trump from the ballot. Yeah. I mean, what happened on January 6th was despicable. 
I don't know if I want to go deep into my personal politics, but I think it's time for a new, <laughs> clearly time for a new generation. And it feels like something we all say, but just nobody wants to let happen. Yeah. Well, at least on the Democratic side, they've cleared out the bench. The old school leadership, uh, Sten Hoyer and Nancy Pelosi and a few of the other senior members have stepped down to at least make way on for the new generation of the House leadership. It hasn't happened in the Senate or the, the executive branch yet. I, I, I feel like the new generation is coming. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's coming. The Democrats have a great bench from, you know, Gretchen Whitmer to... Uh, yeah, Whitmer's great. To Gavin Newsom. She's and, got a big uh, job in pretty, Michigan right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Great. Well, Odds Jam. I must admit, I'm not an expert at Odds Jam. It looks pretty cool. And I thought we could learn it together, me being, we being me and the audience. So why don't you set up Odds Jam? What is it? What are you trying to do? And what role does it play in the ecosystem? Yeah, we are trying to bring the best data, tools, and really educational content to sports bettors around the world. That's our mission. And, and the way that plays out today is, you know, what we are or in the ecosystem is we're really the Bloomberg terminal for sports betting. So if you think about the analog to trading, if you just handed somebody a Bloomberg terminal that was a, you know, a retail trader, they're probably not going to be successful, right? They need to understand how to use these tools. And so we invest a ton into educational based content, mostly on YouTube, long form content to help people understand how to think about betting. And that's really what we do is we're, we're trying to rewire the mind of the sports better from someone who thinks about who is going to win such and such game or who's going to win on such and such side and really get them to think about and understand the concept of finding value in the market. But your main monetization is a subscription model. Is that correct? Yeah, we're a subscription service. Exactly. So what, what's the main driver of the subscription? They're going to use your service to be better betters. Is that the idea? Yeah, it's data-driven sports betting. So we provide data-driven sports betting tools. Basically from, I would say, the broadest set of odds in the industry on the consumer side and educate people how to use those tools. Got it. And what's a standard use case? When, you know, when people, if you're a lay person and somebody says betting tools, they might not know what that means. What is yeah. a standard betting tool? Well, typically the way that people find out about us is mostly on social media. We have a big presence on YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, et cetera. And what we try to do is introduce people to the concepts of making money sports betting. So what you'll find on odds on the Odds Jam Twitter handle is us retweeting a lot of our users who are having a lot of success using our product. And typically the first thing that really clicks for sports bettors, or, and there's lots of different types of cohorts of user, right? There's kind of like the the retail trader, there's the poker player, there's the sports better, there's the person who just loves like a side hustle. What really is the first thing that clicks for them is arbitrage, understanding how to make a guaranteed profit in a, I, ha I hesitate to use the, the term risk-free, but because the industry frowns upon it, but it's basically if you can place a wager on both sides of the same market and guarantee yourself a profit, you know, that is like the first way in which our tools really click for consumers. And then from there, they graduate into other different types of betting strategies like EV. So we invest a lot of time and resources into our positive EV tool, which basically scans the market and finds opportunities for people to place mathematical profitable bets. Or I wouldn't say profitable, I guess I would say just bets with an edge, right? Bets with a clear edge. And the best analog there that people typically learn is for people who play poker, 
it's right. You play pocket queens against ace king every time because it's 54% to win, right? Or if I were to hand you a weighted coin and not give you any tools to track and just said, tell me, is this coin 50-50 or not? You would need something. You would need some kind of tool, whether it's a spreadsheet, a piece of paper, and a pen. And you may even lose track without those tools. So our job is to find those opportunities in the market where there's value. And where, what, how are you determining if something is a positive EV bet? That's the secret sauce, Jason. Just, <laughs> let's talk about the recipe. Um, <laughs> I mean, are you guys like, you can be vague about the actual uh, ingredients, but are you, I, I assume you're modeling sports and then you're popping up when you think the model disagrees with the conventional wisdom? Yeah, I mean, we're using, uh, one of the big improvements we're excited to roll out in the next couple of months is we'll have different, I mean, by the time this is out, it may even be out already, but we'll be able to support basically all the different devigging methods for the odds. So basically we're devigging the odds and then understanding where in the market one sports book may be off compared to a sharper sports book. Obviously this works, you know, the, the more liquidity on a market, the more accurate this can become. So for markets that don't necessarily have a lot of liquidity, you know, there, there can be some false signal there, but we're always kind of fine tuning the algorithm. So it's more of a technical model than a fundamental model. I would say so. Okay. So are these kind of your two core betting tools is the positive EV tool and the arbitrage tool? Yeah, we have some more tools. People, it, it always amazes me how much people love parlays in America. I mean, it's one of the reasons prize picks and a dog have been so successful. And so we actually have a parlay builder that helps people build what I would say is efficient parlays. Not that I would recommend people just go out there and spray and pray on parlays, but we certainly have found a way to find some edge there as well in, with our odds jam fantasy tools. So in the same way in which we have a arbitrage and a positive EV tool, what we do for the fantasy kind of pick sites is we have a tool that helps people understand the best bets on those sites right now. So in other words, if you know underdog and prize picks, they have fixed payout systems, right? It's like, Depending on if you're place, placing a five pick or a six pick, it can be a fixed payout of minus 119 to bet on something. And so what happens is underdog or prize picks may not have moved the line, but other these other sports books may have Mahomes to throw over 248 yards and every other book has them at 260. And so obviously there's, there's clear value and we help people build parlays on those fantasy tools as well. So anyway, that was a long-winded answer answering your question to say, yeah, those are our primary tools. Basically, we have a sports betting set of tools on OddsJam and a fantasy set of tools on OddsJam. Got it. So I think, I mean, in terms of arbitrage, or at least picking sports books off, I mean, there's a very, uh, I guess you would call it an adversarial relationship between the customer and the sports book. And as most listeners of this podcast know, if you're too successful, the sports book will either shut your account or do what's called stake factoring and limit the amount that you can bet. So what's your thought process on that for, you know, if your customers are I guess, too successful using this tool, their account's going to get limited. How do you guys think about that? It's a good question. It's something we talk about a lot. I mean, it's something that's certainly that happens. And I would say with regards to adversarial relationships with sports books, I would say some more so than others, right? Some of them really don't mind. Some of them want the action. Some of them are really good and sharp and efficient and they don't really care. And others, yeah, are a bit more sensitive. But you know, our advice to the consumer on getting limited is what is your choice, right? I mean, if you let's just say you're really good at, at being a market maker and playing this market from the bottom up. I mean, I would argue we, we play the market from the top down with what we do. If you're really good at picking the market from the bottom up, you're going to get limited anyway, right? So, I mean, if you're not getting limited, you're probably losing. And I mean, what I would love to see is people win. I'm not saying I want people to, and, and these sports books have a you know fiduciary responsibility to do their thing as well. 
But I think we're all in this because there's, there's some kind of psychological element to us that loves gambling. I mean, I go on vacation, I go on a golf trip with my buddies and we gamble on whose golf bag is going to come out first. I, I, I think like it's, it's really a part of most people's psychology is what we find. And it would be great to see people, you know, ex- at least be able to play longer, lose a little less. But to me, it's the, the limiting thing is you're going to get limited no matter what, if you're good. I mean, from my perspective, I, the industry is crazy inefficient. It's crazy bad pricing. Part of it's just sort of the uh, macroeconomic environment. So every sports book has to market make, you know, 50,000 different things concurrently. And through information asymmetry, adverse selection, it's really easy to screw up. So from that point of view, it is quite hard to be a modern bookmaker because you have to price so many things that, you know, no one company could have a perfect view of all that. On the other hand, uh, bookmakers charge an extortionate big, you know, and it, you were saying you were looking at the big price, like the the margin that these bookmakers charge, you know, it's more expensive than buying a house on a transactional fee basis. You know, you might pay 10 to 30% big to place a multiple, but if you buy a house, you're paying a 6% transaction fee. So how do you think about those kinds of issues? Hopefully these will get solved by innovation. I mean, I'm not sure they will because of the, you know, the need for this to be a highly regulated market. But, you know, I still keep looking at, we kicked off with politics, right? Like I still keep looking at predict it. I still keep looking at some of these other solutions that are just, I mean, I'm waiting for the crypto based solutions. You know, the bottom line is the liquidity needs to move there. And until it does, people are going to be stuck banging on the door at rock bottom Kings and FanDuel and others. What's your vision for Odds Jam? Where do do you want it to be in 10 years? Do you want the market to get efficient or do you want it to stay inefficient so customers pay you a subscription fee? I think the market is going to be the market and it's our job as a team to really lean into what we're good at, which is building tools and and technology, right? We have an elite engineering team. And so I, I think it's our job to sort of stay ahead of the market and adapt, right? I mean, when we saw fantasy explode in 2021, 2022, really 2022, we launched a fantasy pick'em tool to help people place, you know, if basically sharper six pick entries on prize picks and underdog. And people love us for that in the social sphere. So I think it's on us to just stay ahead from a technology standpoint and continue to be adaptable. It looks like a lot of your data, if you, you know, in this Bloomberg for sports betting kind of world, like it's predicated upon having good data feeds. And, you know, as somebody that's been on the operator side of the fence, I mean, I've seen everything from, you know, there's APIs to XML feeds to scraping to blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, I guess I didn't ask you this, but I presume some of your revenue model is affiliate when you send customers to sportsbooks to sign up. Is that correct? We do a small, a very, very, very small amount of affiliate. Yeah, but no rev shares. Okay. okay. So how do you think about getting data from these from these bookmakers? Is it adversarial? Is it, are you getting it direct? Where's your data on coming who you from? Are, right? so, so we get data from, you know, a lot of our data partnerships are direct partnerships. Sometimes sports books don't even have their own data. They don't even have their own, they don't even have the API of their own markets, which might blow your mind. And so if we can find a way to get that, that's actually open partnerships doors for us. That's a way in which we, you know, a way in which we can find a way to partner with the sports book. So another good example, just a really tactical one is Fliff. Fliff is a, a sweepstakes sports book, a little bit of a, I mean, I don't know if you call it a sports book or I'm sure they're probably mad at me for saying those words, but they're basically a sweepstakes <laughs> sports betting experience and slash sports book. <laughs> but 
you know, that we don't have an adversarial relationship with them whatsoever. I mean, our co-founder, Alex, is out there on social talking about how silly and inefficient Fliff is, right? Oh, you know, nail them on this, blah, blah, blah. And while that may seem like we have a, a poor relationship on its surface, it's just giving Fliff so much oxygen and airtime into an audience, a really dedicated and engaged audience that's on Twitter. So I find that, you know, the, the perception is a little bit more negative than it actually is in reality, just given our audience and engagement. Awesome. I know that you weren't part of the founding team, right? You're, you're a professional CEO that was brought on. That's funny way of phrasing it. I, it it's so funny. I, I guess this is my third time being CEO. I guess I wouldn't consider myself a professional CEO. I haven't been able to have massive success. I started a company and then that company was acquired into an NFT-based company. We made a good run at it, built some good stuff, but it would be hard to call that one a win. But I do. I, I have been in the in the space and in, in the sports space for almost 15 years, and was the second executive hired at the Action Network back in 2018. After I left, these guys kind of chased me down. I was doing my own thing, and is this Ozjam was founded by Alex Monahan and Ankit Goyle, two childhood buddies and roommates at Stanford. They were just relentless in chasing me down to be an advisor, and I, I joined in that capacity in 2021. Got it. One of the things I love to ask startups is like, what is the founding story? Like, what is the thing that you're trying to do in the world that's unique? You know, this started, I think, late 2020 when we were kind of all locked in our basements and Alex was trading at a pretty famous fund called SIG, Susquehanna. And he saw a lot of analogs from the, basically the stock market into the sports betting market. And he was living on the borderline of New Jersey and uh, in Pennsylvania at the time. And he pulled in his childhood buddy, Ankit, and he said, hey, I think we could build some tools here. And the business really took off quickly. I think the Oz Jam collected its first dollar in April 2021. And Ankit's got a ton of experience from Silicon Valley working just in tech. And the combination of the two of those guys really turned out to be a firecracker recipe. I think the one thing that we have that really differentiates us from anybody else in the space is... We are a subscription business. We never get distracted by other things. We build subscription tools and that puts the customer first, right? It's really hard every month to earn the swipe from the customer. And ultimately they're the arbiter of if your product is good or not. And so we have a, that's our DNA. It's a focus on the customer, a relentless focus on the customer and what they want. I would say that our content really sets us apart from many. I think we do a really, really good job you know, Alex putting his own money on the line made for really good YouTube content that ended up going viral. And that was, you know, not something we planned. It was just something we experimented with, right? So I think that's a little bit of a differentiator, but I would say that we're, you know, inspired and we're looking at all of these companies, Sherbets, et cetera, around the world and, and trying to understand how they think about what the market looks like when it's 10 to 20 years down the line and, and really understand where, you know, how we'll develop over the next, you know, five to 10 years. Great. How about company size? Like how many people work there and any sort of revenue numbers that you're willing to share? Yeah, we're not kind of publicly just discussing um, financials at the moment, but uh, what I can say is we are profitable and bootstrapped and that's a really good feeling. We support basically about 25 people. Uh, yeah, there's 25 people on the team, all remote. And we did do one thing that was fun this year, Jason, was we brought everybody to Vegas and did a team offsite. And that was, it wasn't quite uber wild. Like you, you, you see this, like, you know, <laughs> no whatever that Uber TV shows. Yeah. Yeah. No, or, or we work wild, but uh, we had a good time. <laughs> Very good. 
Well, I wish you guys the best of success. I mean, uh, one of my passions is making the market more efficient. So anything that sort of highlights how bad bookmakers are actually pricing these things is fine by me. And yeah, I wish you guys the best of success. Appreciate that, Jason. Yeah, I feel like we've got a long way to go, especially um, live has a long way to go, at least here in the state. But yeah. All right. Thanks very much, Matt. Appreciate it. The Business of Betting podcast is presented by Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming industry. Four out of the top five U.S. operators personalize player experiences with Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming industry. Learn more about Optimove by requesting a demo at optimove.com slash business of betting. And if you like what you see, you will get your first month free.